0: Bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Thoroughly Modern Millie. to we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. We are officially in Act 2 of our main feed coverage. Welcome. I hope that you had a restful intermission. And if you are currently multitasking, if you are listening to the podcast while doing your laundry or cleaning the house, I would suggest taking a moment for yourself to just lay down. Laying down is such an underrated activity. Lay down with the podcast. Why not? That's my advice for you at the top of this episode. I have a few points that I want to make here before we go into the show facts for Thoroughly Modern Millie, I am going to, first of all, say hello to Patty and Benny, our fantastic producers. They are in the booth. We are here in the stage left studio all together. This is an amazing, oh, an amazing moment for the podcast because we are officially, uh, of course, we christened the studio via the on on-tracked episode, which you would have heard just last week. But this is the first show, the first musical that we're talking about in the stage left studio. And we are very, very excited. We are recording this episode on my birthday. Yes, I was a baby on October 8th, 1985. Oh, what a day it was. Patty arrived for this very special occasion. She arrived with delicious breakfast sandwiches piping hot from around the corner. Oh my God, biscuits big thick biscuits with bacon egg and cheese. She knows exactly what I want. That was her birthday present to me. Thank you so much, Patty. Benny gave me a Pikachu beanie. Yes, a sequel to the original beanie. Now I have two beanies in my collection. I <laughs> I never in a million years thought I would have a collection of beanies, and yet here we are. We are enjoying, of course, the beverage of our fine fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. We would not be here without their without their patronage their sponsorship it's it's like we're, we're we're back in the olden days of Europe they are the patron and we are the the florentine artists who like to who, who enjoy the the benefits of that patronage so here we are we are so excited now i have a i have a correction is is what i have for you during our on track episode i accidentally referred to honeymoon in vegas jason robert brown's musical honeymoon in vegas as leaving las vegas that's another movie and as far as i know a musical that of Leaving Las Vegas has yet to be produced. Jason, I mean, one can dream, can't we? Oh, can't we, Jason? Who are we as a people if not dreamers? Jason, give us a Leaving Las Vegas musical. I'm not not sure how that would work. But (laughs) and finally, as I said before, this is the first musical that we are talking about here. I am so proud of us. I am so happy to be doing the 131st official main feed episode. So let's get started. Let's give you that healthy batch of show facts, huh? Show me the show facts. Alright, I'm gonna show you. Let's do them. The Early Modern Millie was the 2002 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 18th, 2002 at the Marquee Theater and ran for 903 performances. The book is written by Dick Scanlon and Richard Morris. The music, well, we have new music by Janine Tesori and new lyrics by Dick Scanlon. We have additional music and lyrics by Sir Arthur Sullivan and W.S. Gilbert, who wrote The Speed Speed test James Van Housen and Sammy Kahn, who wrote the song Thoroughly Modern Millie, Jay Thompson, who wrote Jimmy, Victor Herbert, and Rita Johnson-Young, who wrote Ah, Sweet Mystery of Life, and I'm Falling in Love with Someone. And finally, we have Walter Donaldson, Sam M. Lewis, and Joe Young, who wrote the English lyrics for the song My Mammy, which we get here in this musical in Chinese. The basis for this show is the 1967 film, directed by George Roy Hill, and written by Richard Morris, which was itself based on the 1956 London musical Chrysanthemum, music by Rob Stewart, Book and lyrics by Neville Phillips and Robin Chancellor. The director of the original Broadway production of Thoroughly Modern Millie was Michael Mayer. Musical director Michael Rafter. Orchestrations Doug Besterman and Ralph Burns, along with an uncredited Larry Blank. Choreographer Rob Ashford. Scenic design David Gallo. Lighting design Donald Holder. Sound design John Weston. And costume design Martin Pacaldinas! As always, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing any of these first or last names. I do try my best. The original Broadway cast of Thoroughly Modern Millie was as follows. We have Angela Christian. Ah, Gavin Creel, the Broadway debut. That's why I say ah! Ah, congratulations to Gavin Creel. Sutton Foster, who up until that point had been on Broadway a few times in Les Miserables, Grease, Annie, and the Scarlet Pimpernel. We also have Harriet Harris, whose credits include Adam's Family Values, Desperate Housewives, and... She, of course, played Bibi on Frasier. We have Francis Hugh, Mark Kudich, Ken Leung, Broadway debut for him. Ah, congratulations. You might know Ken Leung from Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and the movie Old, the M. Night Shyamalan film Old. We have Anne L. Nathan, Cheryl Lee Ralph, Kate Baldwin, Roxanne Barlow, Catherine Brunell, Joyce Chittick, Julie Connors, David Eggers. David Eggers, that sounds like Dave Eggers. Surely they're not the same person. No, there's no way. No way, Aldrin Gonzalez, Greg, good broad, Broadway debut for Greg. Ah, congratulations, Greg. Jessica Grove, Amy Higgins, Joanne M. Hunter, Alisa Klein, Darren Lee, Dan Lo Buono, Dan Lo Buono. Yes, I- I'm going to go with that. John McInnes, Casey Nicola. Now, this is a name that many of you will probably recognize. She would go on to become the director and choreographer of such shows as The Drowsy Chaperone, Elf, The Book of Mormon, Alaska. Aladdin, Something Rotten, Mean Girls, The Prom, and the forthcoming brand new adaptation of Some Like It Hot. Rounding out this cast, we have Noah Rossi, Aaron Ramsey, Broadway debut. Ah, ah, ah congratulations, Aaron. T. Oliver Reed, Megan, Sakura, and Brandon Wardle. That's it. That's the cast. Tony nods. Let's talk about the Tonys. It won, ah, Thoroughly Modern Millie won... Best Musical, of course, but also Best Actress in a Musical, Sutton Foster. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Harriet Harris. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. I want to say something real quick, and then we'll get back to the Tony nods. Allow me to repeat myself. Harriet Harris won a Tony Award for her portrayal of Mrs. Mears, a character we will thoroughly unpack in a moment. If you're not familiar with Mrs. Mears, we will unpack her. Do not worry about that. Harris beat out the following performers that year. Uh, We have Andrea Martin as Aunt Eller in Oklahoma, Judy Kay as Rosie Mulligan in Mamma Mia, Laura Bonatti as Cinderella in Into the Woods and Spencer Caden as Little Sally in Urinetown. If you are already familiar with these productions and performances, I'm sure you will agree awarding Harris with a Tony Award was a bizarre and dispiriting choice. Again, we will do our unpacking in a minute. Great job voters, I'll just say that for the time being. For the record, Harris has appeared in eight Broadway productions in total and has never been nominated for a Tony outside of this one instance, okay? So that's something to keep in mind. Back to the Tony nods. The production also won Best Costume Design, Martin Diaz; Best Choreography, Rob Ashford, and Best Orchestrations, Doug Besterman and Ralph Burns. No mention of Larry Blank. He should have gotten a medallion, huh? It was additionally nominated for Best Book of a Musical, Dick Scanlon and Richard Morris. Best Original Musical Score, Janine Tesori and Dick Scanlon. The winner uh, for that category, for that award that year went to Town*. I always think it's interesting when the score goes to one show and then the Best Musical Award goes to a completely different show. That always fascinates me. It was additionally nominated for Best Actor in a Musical, Gavin Creel, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Mark Kudich, and Best Direction of a Musical, Michael Mayer. So, in total, 11 nominations, 6 awards, when all was said and done. When all was said and done. Let's talk about the plot. Act 1, New York City, 1922. Millie Delmount, having traded the dusty plains of Salina, Kansas, for the bustling avenues of NYC, is beginning to realize life in the Big Apple ain't all glitz and glamour. The initial thrill of a flashy flapper makeover is spoiled by a routine mugging. And when bystander Jimmy Smith comes to Millie's aid, he tells her to pack it in, pack it in a head back to the sticks. The advice only solidifies Millie's resolve. She vows to conquer New York, come hell or high water. Our heroine moves into the Hotel Priscilla for Single Women, a shabby institution run by the sinister and enigmatic Mrs. Mears. The single women of the Hotel Priscilla routinely vanish without a trace, and that is precisely because Mrs. Mears is selling them into slavery the women are shipped to southeast asia and into sex slavery chinese brothers ching ho and bun fu play a vital part in this evil endeavor but only because their sick mother is oh all the way back in hong kong and cannot afford to move to the states ching ho and bun fu need money for their mama you see money for mama I'm sorry, did I forget to mention Mrs. Mears only captures women who are orphans because orphans have no ties to society? We all know that. If you don't write it down, get out your notebook and your pen. Write down, orphans do not have families or friends, or anyone who cares about them, which means no one will ask questions if they disappear. Foolproof plan, write it down. Additional backstory for Mrs. Mears, because there is a lot of it for some reason. Her real name is Daisy Crumpler. Daisy is a wanted criminal who masquerades as Mrs. Mears to avoid detection. Daisy is also a failed actress who despises every hopeful starlet who arrives at the Hotel Priscilla, which is why she sells them into slavery. Money may be sweet after all, but revenge is so much sweeter. One final tidbit for you, Daisy employs yellow face makeup to pose as Mrs. Mears. That's right, Mrs. Mears is a Chinese alias, and it comes with an obnoxious cartoon accent. Isn't this fun? Are we not having fun? Note, for the sake of consistency, I will never again refer to Mrs. Mears by her actual name, which is, uh, were you paying attention? Daisy Crumpler, that's correct, very good. Mrs. Mears promises to toss Millie into the gutter if she cannot pay the rent, you must pay the rent. This is precisely when our heroine meets Dorothy Brown, a high society gal who has chosen to slum it among the proletariat, Dorothy is also, wait for it, an orphan. Uh Uh-oh. Millie and Dorothy become fast friends, and when Mrs. Mears learns of Dorothy's orphan status, uh uh-oh, she allows both ladies to remain at the Priscilla. Millie lands a job as a stenographer at Sincere Trust, an insurance company owned by Trevor Graydon III. Our heroine knows all about Graydon, having already studied his thick portfolio of juicy assets, and she is determined to become his wife. Dorothy is overjoyed upon learning of Millie's new gig, and they decide to celebrate with their neighbors from the hotel what millie does not realize is that she unwittingly saved her bff from a terrible fate dorothy was mere seconds away from biting into a tainted apple gifted to her by ching ho the apple had drugs injected into it drugs this is a comedy mrs mears is predictably furious while ching ho finds himself steeped in guilt How could he possibly sell Dorothy into slavery? Dorothy is the girl of his dreams. He fell in love with her at first sight. That feeling when am I right? The problem with wanting to get plastered in 1922 is that alcohol is prohibited which leaves Millie and the girls in a pickle. Where is a gin joint when you really need one? Thankfully Jimmy appears to save the day and he leads them to a popular speakeasy. Millie finds herself growing closer to Jimmy moments before the cops arrive. It's a raid. The news are unceremoniously tossed into jail cells. Despite his better judgment, Jimmy admits to himself that he has fallen in love with our heroine. He invites Millie to a penthouse party where they are positively dazzled by their host, the fabulously rich and resplendent Muzzy Van Hosmere. The fizzy fun of the festivities are thrown into disarray when Millie reminds Jimmy of her plan to marry Graydon. She's already told him about this once. She tells him again, I'm gonna marry my boss, Jimmy. An argument ensues. Millie accuses Jimmy Jimmy of being nothing more than a penniless, shiftless womanizer, an accusation Jimmy counters with a kiss. Jimmy flees the scene, leaving Millie in a state of rapture. Wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles, she loves Jimmy in return. But upon returning to the Priscilla, our heroine is devastated to find Jimmy sneaking out of Dorothy's room. Betrayal! Mendacity! What will become of poor Millie Delmount? Act 2. Millie announces to her co-workers that she is officially over Jimmy. Now more than ever, she is dead, set on marrying her boss, but when Graydon meets Dorothy, they fall for each other at first sight. Damn it! Jimmy sneaks into sincere trust through a window and asks Millie for a dinner date. Does Millie, uh, does she question, uh, Jimmy's motives? Yes. Does, uh, Millie agree to, uh, have dinner? Yes. Fish gotta, they gotta swim. Birds, uh, they gotta fly it. Girls, uh, they gotta eat. Meanwhile, Mrs. Mears continues to pursue little orphan Dorothy. I'll get you, my pretty, and I'll sell you into slavery, too. Ching Ho protests, declaring that he loves Dorothy and would never harm her. But when Mrs. Mears reminds her minions, Banana, of their poor mother back in Hong Kong, the brothers defer to her wishes. Yes, Mrs. Mears, right away, Mrs. Mears. Millie continues to wrestle with her feelings for Jimmy. She confesses to Muzzy that, having come from nothing, she always dreamed of marrying for money. Muzzy sets Millie straight with a tale from her past. Once upon a time, Muzzy fell for an unassuming young man who gave her a brooch made of green glass. Muzzy married this man and went on to discover the brooch was, in point of fact, made of real live emeralds. Her beau had been a millionaire the whole time. The lesson seems to be that one should marry for love, not money, because money can always come... Uh, later or something, I don't know. Regardless, Millie vows to hitch her wagon to old Jimmy. Jimmy and Millie stumble upon a shit-faced Graydon, who glumly admits to having been stood up by Dorothy. Mrs. Mears told Graydon that Dorothy recently checked out of the Priscilla, a claim that arouses Millie's suspicions. Dorothy is an orphan, as were all of the other women who checked out of the hotel without saying goodbye. What in the world is going on here? Millie, Jimmy, and Graydon convince Muzzy to pose as an orphan and rent a room at the Priscilla. The plan goes off without a hitch. Uh, Muzzy is kidnapped, but they save Muzzy, and Mrs. Mears is arrested for her uh, misdeeds. (laughs) (laughs) And what's this? Ching Ho rescued Dorothy, and they are now a starry-eyed couple. Yeah, sorry, Graydon. Nothing like narrowly escaping the horrors of slavery to push you into the arms of a man, even if that man happens to be the man who tried to sell you into slavery in the first place? That feeling when, am I right? Jimmy proposes to Millie, and she happily accepts. Upon doing so, she is flabbergasted to learn Jimmy Smith is none other than... Herbert J. Van the III, stepson to Muzzy Van Hosmere. What's more, Dorothy Brown is actually Dorothy Carnegie Mellon Vanderbilt Van Hosmere, stepdaughter to Muzzy and sister to Jimmy. As it turns out, Muzzy sent her children into the world with false personas and $25 to their name so they could fall in love with real salt-of-the-earth types. Fu lands a job as Graydon's latest stenographer, and in a post-show coda, he ends... Had- and Ching Ho are reunited with their mother, Mama, Mama. Yes, sailed across the sea on the backs of women we sold into slavery, Mama. Our hands will never be clean, Mama, Mama. And so our plot summary comes to an end. But regarding Mrs. Mears and the subject of Yellowface, allow me to just. Make a few points here before we move on. Let's start here. The wholesale recreation of a racist trope, the trope being in this instance, yellowface, is not comedic or satirical or some combination of the two. It is simply racism hiding under a thin veil of irony. We are talking gossamer thin, communion wafer thin. You are trying to get away with something and should not be surprised when people inevitably have objections. If you remember my stories about working with Second City, you will know I have first-hand experience in this regard. One might argue, but the yellow face was in the movie. I say to that, since when are we beholden to the source material? There are plenty of differences. Between Thoroughly Modern Millie, the movie, and Thoroughly Modern Millie, the stage musical. Why did this element survive the transition? What if the movie had featured blackface instead of yellowface? Would we have put blackface on stage? Of course not. So why yellowface? What is it about Asian identities that makes them easier to lampoon, easier to throw under the bus? One might argue, but this is all meant to be funny and farcical. The character of Mrs. Mears is a despicable fool. The fact that we are meant to laugh at Mrs. Mears does not matter to me, especially when there wasn't a single person of Asian descent on Millie writing or production team. Do me a favor, call me when you have more than zero people of color in positions of power. Call me when they are in the room with all of those white people and tell me how they react to your so-called comedy. I have seen some of those reactions firsthand, again, firsthand emphasis, and they would sober you right up, those reactions. They would, let me tell you. Mealy-mouthed excuses will not save you, one might argue, but Francis Hugh and Ken Young were in the room. They were collaborators original Broadway cast member Francis Hugh once described the character of Ching Ho ah the characters I should say of Ching Ho and Bon Fu as quote the heroes quote of Thoroughly Modern Millie during a 2018 Playbill interview and though I am inclined to give Francis the benefit of the doubt I cannot help but think of the women Ching Ho and Bon Fu did not save those who were successfully sold into slavery and never heard from again methinks those women would not describe Ching Ho and Bun Fu as heroes. This is a comedy, for God's sake. Why am I being made to think of women dying in flop houses? One might argue, oh Pooh and Posh, you're taking all of this too seriously. You're right. I concede. We should not examine works of art too closely. It's unfair. The viewer is, after all, nothing more than a slack-jawed neutral party, a drainage system through which the art simply passes. Art is nothing more than coral pink chicken sludge, a slurry of sorts that goes in one end and comes out to the other, no need to consider where it comes from or what it's doing to you. If anyone thinks I'm being hard on this show, they had better steel themselves for my thoughts on MJ. I hope we eventually see the Encore's revival of Millie that was initially scheduled for 2020, before the pandemic of course put everything on ice, said revival would have featured a newly revised book by Chinese playwright Lauren Yi, a book which would have addressed the show's relationship with race. Put it back on the calendar, Encores. I want to know. I want to know more about Yi's approach to this material. It would be one thing I'm just going to throw this in here. It would be one thing if Ching Ho and Bun Fu said at the very end of the show, oh no, we never sold any of those women into slavery. No. We got them bus tickets and sent them back home. No, are you kidding me? We would never do that. But they don't do that, do they? They don't say that. And so we are left to assume that all of the people who vanished prior to Dorothy (laughs) <laughs> that they are gone forever and ever and ever and ever. For the purposes of this week's episode, I began my I began my research with the 1956 original London cast album of Chrysanthemum, where it all began. The guide to musical theater provides a plot summary for Chrysanthemum, which is unsurprisingly borderline incoherent but from what I can surmise, the only elements that survived when adapting Chrysanthemum into a film were the Chinese stereotypes and white slavery plot. Everything else was thrown out the window, the everything else being a series of comic misunderstandings and several proto-Rex Harrison talk songs for actor Hubert Gregg. The score is pure foam and froth, no more than bubbles that pop and vanish within the air, but my time with it did not feel misspent. I then went on to watch the 1967 motion picture, Thoroughly Modern Millie. The Pancake Makeup, if I can start here, the Pancake Makeup con job they pulled on the women in this movie is a disgrace. Julie Andrews, Mary Tyler Moore, and Carol Channing are reliably delightful. Ah, but the movie is more of a distraction than true entertainment. The second half is especially slow. It's a bit of a slog. It's really only half of an original musical, all told, all things considered. With the other half taking up by old-timer tunes like Baby Face and Jazz Baby, Baby This, Baby That. Baby, write a new song, why don't you, huh? I know I've already made quite the meal out of this point, but it blows my mind how Thoroughly Modern Millie the movie and Thoroughly Modern Millie the stage musical were separated by nearly four decades of time, and everyone involved with the latter was like, well, we have to keep Mrs. Mears and the Yellow Face and the White Slavery. That stuff is non-negotiable. It's too funny. This is the hill we die on. If anything, we are going to beef up Mrs. Mears' character and make her more transparently racist. We're doubling down, Jerry, doubling down. I mean, when you consider Jennifer Jones in Love is a Mindy Splendored Thing, Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's, Marlon Brando in The Tea House of the August Moon, Jonathan Price in Miss Saigon, Beatrice Lilly and Harriet Harris in two separate incarnations of thoroughly modern Millie, this cottage industry of people pretending to be Asian, Asian fools, villains, and martyrs for the sake of laughs and awards. P.S. The characters who would become Ching Ho and Bun Fu for the purposes of the stage musical are simply known as Oriental No. 1 and Number 2 in the 1967 film. They are played by none other than Pat Morita and Jack Sue, who deserved better. Ching Ho and Dorothy do not fall in love in the movie. Instead, Ching Ho simply wants to rape Dorothy when she's passed out in an opium den. Hashtag belly laughs. P.P.S. Carol Channing bursts out of a cannon and screams raspberries. And that's worth quite a few points in my book. Raspberries tomorrow at raspberries yesterday, but never raspberries today. I also listened to the 2002 original Broadway cast album of Thoroughly Modern Millie, and I watched the 2002 Tony Awards performance of Forget About the Boy and Thoroughly Modern Millie. I finished my research with a viewing of the bootleg recording of the full Broadway show that's available on YouTube. Date unspecified. Don't know what performance that was. Having seen said bootleg recording, I can confidently assert none of the material involving Mrs. Mears is funny. It creaks and groans like an old battleship and the laughs feel perfunctory. A Pavlovian response to the existence of jokes as opposed to a genuine appreciation for the jokes. There's a moment near the end of Act 2 when the women of the Hotel Priscilla, home Mrs. Mears to a police station, getting to know they will soon be surrounded by handsome cops. This inspired someone near the camera, the person taking this bootleg recording, their neighbor, a gay white man, a gay cis man, no doubt white as hell, he remarked, slut. That was his comment, his mystery science theater style commentary. Less than a minute later, an actor said the phrase circle line, and this same jackass whispered, circle jerk. Circle line, (laughs) circle jerk, fuck off, asshat, shut up. It is now time to begin our deconstruction of the score for Thoroughly Modern Millie, and we will begin with the, ah, not the opening number technically, but the title number. Yes, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Patty Benny, let's cue that up if you please. There are
1: those, there are those, I suppose, I suppose, think we're mad.
2: Everything today makes yesterday slow. Better face reality. It's not insanity, says Vanity Fair. In fact, it's stylish to raise your skirts and, bob your, your hair. Skirts and bob your hair. Have you seen the way they kiss in the movies?
1: Isn't it
3: collectible?
2: Painting lips and
0: Of the original Broadway cast album of Thoroughly Modern Millie achieves million buck status. From the tight as a drum company to the dazzling orchestrations of Besterman, Burns, and Blank. I'm not leaving you out, Blank. They didn't give you credit, but I'm giving you credit. Listen to that title number and tell me I'm fooling. Listen to those actors shout, Goodbye! Good goody girl, I'm changing and how, I'm changing and how, I'm changing and how. I'm not saying that is a musical theater hall of fame moment, but it's certainly exciting. The sort of oral caffeine boost I need on a human, on a hobdrum human day as a human being. (laughs) The word human came out of me. Millie may be a featherweight character on the page. She ain't no Charity Valentine, that's for sure. But Foster turns her into someone worth knowing and rooting for, someone who feels like a friend. If I have undervalued Foster in the past, I hereby retract those statements. Check your personality, by the way. Maybe one of the most nasty readings, one of the nastiest reads ever composed for a musical. So simple. So devastating. Look at yourself. Look at the choices that led you here. Ah, the intrinsic spiritual DNA that is you. Take stock, darling. Check your personality.
2: Twenty nine Calloused hands, broken heart, dreams that die before you start. I ain't got nothing, so I ain't got nothing to lose. Who needs a hat? Who needs a purse? And who needs you, Mr. Whoever you are? Because I'm a pioneer woman, pal. The Woolworth Building, the MetLife Tower, there's gold in them there.
0: reprise of Not For The Life Of Me hits me a little harder than the initial rendition, which I ascribe to Foster's reading of Calloused Hands, Broken Heart, Dreams That Die Before You Start. She's putting a, a hefty amount of sorrow into those lyrics. It's quite effective. Lyrics that are, I should say, substantially better than Gotta Be More Than An Old Ghost Town Where The Ghost Ain't Even Dead quote unquote. That's always been a head scratcher for me. I don't think that really works. The ghost isn't dead? I suppose people can float through their lives as if they were already dead. I mean, I get it. I do, but the wording is it's a little clumsy. We're sort of stumbling there. We're stumbling. <laughs>
4: The meat without the gravy, I'll take the oyster Sons the pearl. Pinching pennies, clipping coupons, see a brand new world unfurl. Let me brown bag all my lunches, try my hand at canned cuisine. A burlet's class I long to pass. I want an on the door (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>
0: That was a little bit of how the other half lives for you. Who doesn't enjoy characters who complement each other musically? The soft fusion of monologues that results in a perfectly harmonious duet. Not I, said the duck. The duck is me, quack quack. You can find this type of compliment song in any number of musicals. It's a careworn convention from the earliest of days, but when executed properly, it feels practically revolutionary, as if a scientist is piecing together their landmark invention right before your very eyes. Do not underestimate the appeal and staying power of a well-done compliment song. The old ways stick around for a reason.
5: Time!
0: Dear Mr. Hudson... My eyes are fully
5: open to my awful situation, so I'm writing you a letter to demand an explanation. When the floor wax that we bought from you arrived your Monday morning, we discovered upon usage that I think you should have a warning. So the only possibility is that your wax is rancid. I request a full refund of all the monies we had rancid. That you can convince me you've improved the floor wax matter. We will take our business elsewhere. So I hope you solve this matter. So I
6: hope you solve this matter. So I hope you solve this matter. So I hope you solve this matter. So I this matter. So I hope you solve this matter. So I hope you solve this matter. Going on!
5: Close to find a small container, rub stuff, to talk about scribbling. carefully did and take it with. If you had, had a show, you wouldn't want me to, or other day papers. With the news for of our office was affected by your papers, which is why I choose to write to you. A comfortable little full strong validation that you may always bear. I just hope no requires the handful, and if it does, you may expect bills and since it's ever great. You have made the team, Mr. Mount. You have made the team, Miss Mount.
2: My desk is when we eat lunch, how much I'll be paid. And nice to meet you, I know we'll be friends. Just call me Billy Graydon. Billy Graydon. I mean Dillmount. Billy Dillmount. Sunday Graydon. Graydon, Dillmount, Dillmount. Grady, Graydon, Dillmount. Graydon.
0: series of rapid fire observations regarding the speed test. I want to sink my incisors, my molars, into the red velvet voice of Mark Kutich. Hand me a fork. ah! I want to take a bite out of it. Who among us is not impressed with winter crisp articulation and rocket-powered delivery? Not I, said the duck. I'm the duck. Quack, quack. I sense we're gesturing toward Gilbert and Sullivan when the chorus sings, so I hope you solve this matter, 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 matter. Am I wrong? Are there echoes of I am the very model of a modern major general? Eh, yes, no? I think so. I say yes. Do you think the Try Guys would be willing to smell rancid floor wax for the sake, for the purposes of generating content. Eugene could be like, It's serving Governor Abbott, P.U. And then the little one, the little rat one, could be like, If crossing the bridge be your goal, solve my riddle and pay the toll.
7: They don't know my flair for the dramatic. Not a clue. The talent I possess. Pretty girls, but not much in the attic. Face to face with genius, and they never guess. They don't know they're staring at an artist. Highly trained to take on any roles. Skillful mime and brilliant laundry cartist seeking retribution for the life they stole. I almost acted Chekhov, Ibsen, Shaw, Molière. I almost starred as Peter Pan, imagined moi, mid-air. I almost tackled Shakespeare, a blushing Juliet. And if the house were big enough I still could play her yet They don't know I'm hotter news than Doozer, Helen Hayes And Van Hart all in one They're on top And I look like a loser Wait and see who's standing When my play is done So welcome on You bright young ladies You're checking in to Hotel Hades I won't stand by while critics praise you you're getting shipped to Southeast Asia but they don't know they don't know Saddleby so on a
0: Sold out a healthy sum of well-earned praise. I find it is time to pivot. The pivot was always coming, and now the time for pivoting has finally arrived. Turning! Turning, as Harold would say. Let's talk about They Don't Know, and let us do it frankly. This is supposed to—this. This is supposed to be the song and the performance that earned Harriet Harris a Tony? My brothers and sisters in Christ, I do not hear it. As a villain song, I find it to be calorically deficient and devoid of flavor. And Harris ain't exactly spinning the straw into gold. So what was the appeal, I ask? What precisely cast a spell on hundreds of voters? I find myself stumbling through a fog of confusion.
1: Oh, the places I would like to show you. Although... I hardly know you I've a funny feeling We make a perfect pair Famous sights I wanna see you seeing The nights of you and me me, you, we Wait a minute! Just a minute! No, 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 no I'm a joe with just one aim Every night to date a different dame Call each one of them the same pet name Hey, baby In a row I have my ducks Loads of gals to give me loads of yucks Leave the coo into the other clucks I don't mean maybe Got it good What do I need with love? Always practice what I preach Keep temptation out of easy reach Stick to dolls who wash their hair in bleach I'm happy Come and go the way I choose Never gonna sing the tie-down blues Other guys are killed to fill my shoes No wing clipped sappy Got it good What do I need with love? That was a near miss Talk about a close shave flirted with disaster there must be someone up there watching over me talk about a four-leaf clover me peter rabbit's missing footsie means i roll without a tootsie got it good what do i need with love i got it good what do i need with love
0: Hey Benny, do we have a calculator? Can we break out a calculator and run the numbers on what do I need with love? Because I'm pretty sure five million around five million twinks have used it as audition material, and my advice to those twinks would be to not use this as audition material. Gavin Creel's vocal cords are made out of bright, white, hot silver, and no one should force a comparison between his voice and their own. Don't do not that to yourself. Gavin solidifies his star status with the delivery of, oh, the places I would like to show you, although I hardly know you. Spaghetti and meatballs is what that is, and I am fucking hungry for it. Is Creel in the Cream Pie Cutie Club, my collection of Broadway and West End actors who are allowed to throw me onto my back and turn me into a cream pie? No, because I am, if nothing else, a massive Contradictions. You never know when I'm gonna zag. <laughs>
3: Step right up to Treasure Isle. Every inch of it, a sky high mile. Fairy land, only in New York. Hey, Castle Bill. The moon and nothing less work for years then overnight success. I know firsthand only in New York each day it's free admission. your sights all the way upstream Off you go for you know that cream will run. Make that wish Seek that thrill Come and get it Cause you always will Strike up the band. Admission to those Who dream You set your sights All the way upstream Off you go For you know that Cream will Rise Rise Now Improve and Rearrange It's ever Changing and it's It's grand That's why I
0: In a perfect world, the decision to cast Cheryl Lee Ralph as Muzzy would not arouse skepticism or cynicism within me. I don't want to feel those feelings. Those are not fun feelings. Ralph is a tremendously talented person whose rendition of Only in New York could blow a house down. You know this to be true. You just heard the evidence. This woman deserves to shine without having to wonder why she was cast in the first place. I am not, to be clear, the type of reactionary freak who sees a black act or an actor of color in general, and assumes their presence is a result of woke politics or whatever the fuck the right is calling it these days, that white supremacist dog whistle bullshit, fuck that shit, my cynicism derives from the fact that outside of Cheryl Lee Ralph, Francis Hugh, and Ken Leung, every prominent speaking role in Thoroughly Modern Millie went to a white performer, and that reads as a strategic decision on the part of casting. I firmly believe no actors of color were considered for the roles of Millie, Jimmy, Dorothy, or Graydon, at least not seriously. They are the ingenues at the center of the piece, and there has always been a strong bias at play when it comes to casting ingenues. We could see a non-white Millie on Broadway today, But in 2002, no, I don't think it was ever going to happen. White faces and voices were always going to be what anchored the original production of this show. Anything else would have been seen as Risky, quote-unquote. If the ingenue roles are off the table, that leaves us with the supporting cast, right? Ching Ho and Ban Fu are explicitly Chinese, and Mrs. Mears is a white woman masquerading as Chinese. There's no wiggle room there as far as the script is concerned, so the only character we have left is Muzzy. And when you narrow it down like that, when you only allow for open casting in relation to a single part, That's when I cry foul. That's when I assume you're only interested in using black women as temporary showstoppers before relegating them to the sidelines. Performers of color should not be relegated to -to salt-to-taste status. It's insulting. I mean, for crying out loud, did Miss Flannery need to be white? Miss Flannery, the woman in charge of staffing at Sincere Trust, who pops off a couple of jokes and has a tap solo. We needed a white woman to play that part? Come on already. And another thing, I I don't appreciate how Thoroughly Modern Millie the stage musical appears to fixate on Muzzy's role as Jimmy and Dorothy's stepmother. I understand this is a plot point carried over from the 1967 film, but there's something sweaty about the stage version between the belabored delivery of the exposition and the awkward laughter from the crowd. It feels like we're explaining Cheryl Lee Ralph's blackness to idiots who are easily confused and prone to outrage. She's their stepmother, you see. Not biological mother. Stepmother, yeah. Step, step, step. We get it. Jimmy and Dorothy are not mixed race. You've made that very clear. The beat takes on a completely and needlessly different air with a black woman in the role of Muzzy. If it seems like I'm really focusing on race this week, maybe it's because there's a goddamn yellow face character running around in this thing. That tends to raise a lot of questions. We have two more tracks from this album that I want to highlight. First is Forget About the Boy, which I would say is my favorite number from the show. Let's hear that.
2: No canary in a cage for me. This canary's ready to fly free. Cut the cord. A man I once adored He's nothing but an albatross No great loss, double crosser Forget about the boy Pull the plug Ain't he the one who pulled the rug He's lower than an alley cat Dirty rat And I flatter Forget about the boy through. I'll find myself another boat who I know is no rover. Forget about the boy. Forget about
0: gotta forget about the boy. It's so much fun. It has this nice combination of big fuck you energy. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you men. And it's slathered with ten gallons of razzmatazz. It's a combination of fuck you and razzmatazz. Fuck you, razzmatazz. It's great. And the final track that we want to highlight from this album, I don't have anything to say about it. I just think Sutton Foster's doing a great job. Ah, during her performance of Gimme Gimme. Let's hear Gimme Gimme.
2: Gimme. called love I want it gimme give gimme give that thing called love I need it highs and lows tears and laughter gimme happy ever
0: Button, I tip my hat to you. Now is the time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. We're all done with the score deconstruction, all done, and so we have to hear from our sponsor. Take it away, 5678
8: Coffee. Oh, oh, oh. Welcome, welcome, a pleasure to make your acquaintance, (laughs) Frank's the name, Dr. Frank Inferta, PhD, PCP, MSG, you and me, am I right or am I right? (laughs) Oh, I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania, and you are? No, let me guess. You're the farmer's son. (laughs) The strapping hotland townie with very little brains and a whole lot of sirloin between the legs. (laughs) Give me a home where the buffalo moan. Am I right or am I right? Oh, 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 oh. You don't waste any time, do you? In for a penny and out for a poke, that's what you are. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, never mind my cavalcade of pale-faced freaks. They like to watch oh, Magenta, Columbia, give mama room to wiggle. Oh, 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 oh. I'm going, going, gone, babe. I haven't felt this good since Herman Monster and Elvira gave me the maple treatment back in 1976. <laughs> you know what I enjoy after a oh, a lightning round of nibbles and tits. A piping hot cup of 5678 coffee. Refraf! coffee for two. <laughs> mm. Oh, this flavor is to die for, is it not? And on that note, oh, I'm afraid I must toss your lumpy Midwestern frame into the maw of my latest creation, a positively Kafkaesque cross between Anita Bryant and a fucking millipede. Fair warning, she likes to play with her food. <laughs> she don't play fair, am I right or am I right? <laughs> Say, who's in the mood for a pizza? compliments of the plaza hotel <laughs>
6: oh,
8: oh, 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 oh,
0: Final thoughts regarding thoroughly modern Millie. Millie may have its bountiful share of bops, but the show will never soar so long as the yellow face and white slavery thorns remain in its paw. Is there a mouse in the house? We need to remove these enormous thorns. Uh, catch of the day. This may also be a case where I like the performers and what they're doing with the material more than the material itself, but I don't know if we have a full ragtime scenario on our hands here. No need to go that far, I don't think, though. You never know how my mood will change. You never know what I'm gonna think, baby. Now, as a reminder, Thoroughly Modern Millie was the winner of the 2002 Tony Award for Best Musical. The additional nominees that season were Mamma Mia, Sweet Smell of Success, and former subject of the podcast, you're in town, and so we come to the one million dollar question: Did Thoroughly Modern Millie deserve to win the Tony Award for Best Musical in 2002? No. The answer is no. The ah, the award should have gone to You're in Town. You're in Town deserved to win, is what I say. Case closed. The jury may now return to their families. It is now time for me to rank Thoroughly Modern Millie against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the main feed. As a reminder, you can check out this ranking by going to twitter.com slash uh, Ah, You'll have access to our link tree. You'll go to a spreadsheet. The second tab of that spreadsheet is oh, all. That's, that's the ranking. That's where you'll find that information. I'm placing Thoroughly Modern Millie at number 63 between Once on This Island at number 62 and Applause at number 64. Now, that could change as well. That could zag at any point. So keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. I have a few pieces of show-related ephemera for you this time around. We are going to start with a track from the Chrysanthemum cast album. This is Watch Your Step as performed by Hubert Gregg.
2: The park is so picturesque in springtime, don't you think?
0: Uh,
5: Yes, yes, it's very picturesque.
2: I mean, look at the river, isn't it picturesque? Yes. And the ships? Yes.
4: And those who sail in them?
5: And those who sail... do mean the sailors?
4: (laughs) Yes, aren't they, just uh... Picturesque!
5: mary you haven't by any chance arranged to meet somebody here this afternoon, have you?
2: Oh, John, you are an old fusspot.
5: Yes, that may well be, but mary watch your step. It isn't done for girls to think that men are fun. Just watch your step and never read a book by someone called Weeder. Or you may become, alas, a member of a certain class which good society has scorned. In other words, the demi-monde. Some men are sane and some are mental, the latter mainly continental, but all have just one end in view, which seldom is to marry you. For instance, when your cousin Millie went out to look at Piccadilly, she met that officer from Chile. Now Millie's part of Piccadilly. Watch your step. A man may speak a lingo, but to you is Greek. It won't be Greek, I don't suppose, but certain words no lady knows. Dear sister, heed my good advice. What's naughty isn't always nice. And certainly not worth the price you'll pay. Watch your step, step by step every day.
0: Next up is a performance of the song Thoroughly Modern Millie as performed by Angela Lansbury at the 40th Academy Awards. This originally aired on television on April 10th, 1968. Let's hear that.
8: This next spot might be billed as Annie Main meets Thoroughly Modern Millie. To bring you the fourth nominated song, we have one of Hollywood's finest dramatic actresses, who had to go to New York to be discovered as a singing star. And here she is, backed by the Ronald Field dancers, the dazzling Miss Angela Lansbury.
9: There are those, I suppose, think we're mad. Heaven knows the world has gone to rock and to ruin. What we think is chic, unique, and quite adorable. They think it's odd and sodom and demorable. But the fact is everything today is thoroughly modern. Check your personality. Everything today makes yesterday slow. Better face reality. It's not insanity, says Vanity Fair. at that time go dance they wouldn't allow now it's quite permissible goodbye good goody girl I'm changing and how so beat the drums cause here comes thoroughly modernity.
0: Modern The Movie was up for seven Oscars back in 1968, including Best Song, and Elmer Bernstein ultimately walked away with the award for Best Original Score. There were four additional nominees for Best Song back in that time, back in the day, and they made for a wild bunch of bedfellows. I want to hear clips from all of them, so let's begin with Terry Gilkison's The Bear Necessities from Walt Disney's The Jungle Book.
8: Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be found off my big home. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you.
0: Let's follow that up with Quincy Jones and Bob Russell's The Eyes of Love from the film Banning. If
3: you could only see me through the eyes of love, I look so soft and dreamy, feel the eyes. Being something special to a special someone. Darling, once it glimmers,
0: you can hide it from one. Next up, Bert Bacharach and Hal Davids' The Look of Love from Casino Royale. The Look of
5: in
3: your eyes, a look your smile can't disguise, the look of love, it's like my breath away I can hardly wait to hold you, feel my arms around you How long I have waited, waited just to love
0: And finally, Leslie Percuse's Talk to the Animals from
8: Dr. Doolittle, which was the winner. And if you just stop to think a bit, there's no doubt of it, I shall win a place in history. I can walk with the animals, talk with the animals,
3: grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals.
0: Let me bad winner. Am I right? The look of love was right there. What a great song. That should have won. Under normal circumstances, this is the point in the show where we determine what we are going to discuss in the next episode. We do that normally, under normal circumstances, by taking a ride on the musical carousel. But we have a brand new $10 a month patron by the name of Helena. And as a $10 a month patron, they are entitled to make that selection for us. I don't know if it's Helena or Helena. Reach out to me. Let me know if I got it right the first time or if I need to be corrected. So Helena's selection. We're going to go with Helena for right now. Their selection is the 2011 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for it is currently running I should say on Broadway and as of September 11th, 2022 it had logged 4,103 performances. That show is none other than The Book of Mormon. Yes, it's true. So next week that's going to be our subject, the Book of Mormon. Thank you so much, Helena, for becoming a patron. Let's talk about what it means to be a patron. Go to patreon.com musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We previously were giving all of our money to the Oakwood Project, but we have since shifted our focus. We're going to be giving to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund for the remainder of our main feed coverage. We're not changing it Moving forward, this is our sole point of focus. We do not keep any of the money that we generate through Patreon for ourselves, so just keep that in mind. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. As a one dollar a month patron, you get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. You'll get them on Monday, everyone else will have to wait until Wednesday. What a fun little trick for you! What a fun thing for you! You'll get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least one dollar a month, Caroline. Who is our uh, uh, we have another other new patron. Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you, Helena. Helena? Uh, Helena, I don't know. Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Lace, Carrie, Manny, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Chianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. As a $1 a month patron, you will also get 18 bonus episodes. These episodes cover the following. Subjects, the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Alive, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th Birthday Celebration, Hamilton via Disney Plus, Documentary Now, original cast album, Co-op, John Mulaney and The Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, a review of the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, and our latest bonus episode which came out during our intermission period, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. We're not done with this tier yet. You also get season one that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. And you also get the first 12 episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man, a series for which we watch trilogies of movie musical that are tied by a common theme. That series is coming back, back to the Patreon feed, October 26th, okay? Our brand new episode will be known as the Yeehaw Trilogy. That's our theme, Yeehaw! We're going to be talking about the Harvey Girls from 1946, Calamity Jane from 1953, and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers from uh, 1954. Yeah, there we go. If you donate $3 a month via Patreon, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out. In the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get all 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, a series dedicated to Disney's high school musical franchise. Thank you very much. You also get a special one off bit of podcasting all about the one and only season of Julie and the Phantoms. And coming March 2023, our $3 a month patrons can expect a brand new eight episode bi weekly series. We're not gonna tell you anything about it just yet. It's still in the making, okay, but I assure sure you, starting March of next year, $3 a month patrons are going to get their own brand new series. Yeah? It's been a while. Wildcats everywhere. That was a long time ago. You deserve a brand new series, and you're going to get it. $5 a month gets you everything I've already described. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. That's what Helena got to do. She got to pick the Book of Mormon. You also get seasons 1 and 2. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get all 14 episodes in our Broadway and Chicago review series, as well as Volumes 1 through 5 of Shout About It. Those are collections of 5678 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 125 episodes of the podcast, if you can believe it. And finally, if you choose to become a $10 a month patron, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season 1, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to... musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical and you get 12 episodes of Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. We have covered so much ground via the Patreon feed it's ridiculous and we have so much more for you in the future. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, take a moment to write a five-star review if you please. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or musicalmanpod.podbean.com It's your choice. Follow us on Twitter at Muse and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I love an email. Write me an email. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth. That's right. They're back in the booth. It feels so good to say that. Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Ah, Ah, you know what that sound means. Yes. Just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of... The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Venusian, and good night.
9: Regardless. Yes, that's French they're speaking. And no, these children aren't French. They're American. And they've acquired their amazing new language skills from Muzzy.
6: Raspberry! My God, it's Muzzy.